Section 12 of On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication, with an Inquiry into the Influence of the Abuse of Alcohol as a Predisposing Cause of Disease, by William Marset. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Observations on Synoptical Table Having glanced at this synoptical table, readers note the synoptical table giving an account of 48 cases of chronic alcoholism, treated by the author at the Westminster Hospital. The table is 11 columns across, first column being the number of the patient, second column is name and age of the patient and their employment, third column quality and quantity of spirituous beverage taken, fourth column period of existence of intemperance, fifth column state of sleep, sixth column hallucinations, seventh column trembling, eighth column other symptoms referable to the nervous system, ninth column symptoms not referable to the nervous system, tenth column pre-existing disease, and eleventh column result of treatment. End of reader's note. The reader will probably ask whether these cases include all the patients suffering from chronic alcoholism who have been placed under my care at the Westminster Hospital. The answer to this inquiry is that with the exception of one or two patients, not reported because the notes of their illness were not deemed sufficiently complete, the synoptical table is to be considered as offering a faithful account of the whole of the cases of chronic alcoholism that have come under observation in my hospital practice before the publication of my first edition, and from a short time after my being appointed to the Westminster Hospital. I must, however, remark that the number of cases described falls short to a considerable extent of the real number of hospital patients suffering from chronic alcoholism who have applied to me for medical advice. As, previous to my attention being called to the disease in question, I must have frequently overlooked the influence of spirituous liquors on the nervous system. In omission, partly owing to the circumstances alluded to in the beginning of this work, and partly to the fact that, in many instances, the prominent symptoms depended on morbid conditions which differed widely from those known to be caused by the abuse of alcoholic beverages. I have not so much to add in connection with the quantity and quality of the spirituous beverages taken. The reader must recollect that the information contained under this head must be taken with reserve. Some patients stated that they had been intoxicated regularly every day, others only once a week. Others drank to a sufficient extent to bring on an attack of chronic alcoholism, although they only indulged to excess at irregular intervals. Thus it will be perceived there is much difficulty in placing in a tabular form the amount and nature of alcoholic beverage taken by each individual. The period during which habits of intemperance existed was equally difficult to ascertain with satisfactory correctness, for it often occurred that the allowance of beer and spirits had been gradually increased, and it was impossible to arrive exactly at the date when the quantity taken had been sufficient to interfere with health. It also frequently happened that an individual, having drunk freely for a certain number of years, suddenly reduced his allowance within moderate limits, and then again took to intemperate habits. This could not well be expressed in a synoptical table. Of the four to five cases where the condition of sleep was recorded, in one only had this function not been affected. In the present instance, case 48, I am disposed to believe that the individual suffered as much, if not more, from smoking as from drinking. Sleep, disturbed by excesses and spirituous beverages, has this peculiarity, that it is always attended with restlessness and mental anxiety. I do not remember hearing a patient suffering from chronic alcoholism state that he lay in bed comfortably, 
although he could not sleep. This symptom varied considerably in degree. In many cases, individuals were but slightly affected, frequently awaking from sleep disturbed by nightmare. Other patients more seriously attacked, not sleeping at all, and troubled at night with frightful hallucinations. Respecting the other symptoms of chronic alcoholism, I have merely to call the reader's attention to the fact that hallucination, trembling, and giddiness are, with but few exceptions, constantly present, and these symptoms, when occurring in conjunction with sleeplessness, appear to me all but characteristic of chronic alcoholism. The column-headed symptoms not referable to the nervous system show how frequently chronic alcoholism is attended with other diseases, more especially affections of the digestive organs, these secondary disorders being frequently, in my opinion, the immediate cause of the attack of chronic alcoholism. The next column, headed Pre-existing Disease, indicates that the disease is very frequently preceded by one or more attacks of delirium tremens, and also that the patient may have suffered previously from chronic alcoholic intoxication. Finally, with respect to the treatment, it must be remembered that nothing is so difficult as to keep up a regular series of observations on hospital outpatients. For some apply only once for relief, others give up attending as soon as they feel themselves well enough to return to work, and a few only can be made to understand the importance of calling regularly at the hospital until they are discharged. The results obtained from the treatment of 48 cases of chronic alcoholism entered in the table may be expressed as follows. Number of patients cured or who ceased attending, having quite recovered, 25. Number of patients who gave up attending much relieved, 15. Number of cases where the action of oxide of zinc could not be ascertained, 8. On the administration of oxide of zinc dissolved in water by means of carbonic acid, after administering for several years oxide of zinc under the form of powder, it appeared to me that it would be an advantage to give the substance in a more soluble form, and I accordingly commenced an inquiry into the action of oxide of zinc dissolved in water by means of carbonic acid. I first undertook, in conjunction with Mr. F. Dupree, Ph.D., to determine the exact solubility of oxide of zinc in water by carbonic acid under the atmospheric pressure, and we found that one ounce of water dissolved by this means half a grain of oxide of zinc under the form of bicarbonate, one ounce of the solution contained 0.517 grains of oxide of zinc. Footnote. Ten cubic centimeters of the solution contain exactly 1.013 grams of oxide of zinc. End footnote. Mr. Squire of Duke Street, Grosvenor Square, was so kind as to prepare for me some of the fluid in the effervescent condition by acting on oxide or carbonate of zinc with carbonic acid under pressure. The solution was preserved in well-topped half-pint soda water bottles. Although oxide of zinc is transformed into bicarbonate of zinc when suspended in water and subjected to a stream of carbonic acid gas, still it should be understood that this bicarbonate, when taken in the stomach, must be decomposed by the acid gastric secretion, and consequently the zinc is absorbed into the blood in the same state of combination as if exhibited under the form of solid oxide. Independently of giving oxide of zinc in a dissolved condition, I had further objects in view. First, to administer oxide of zinc under a form which allows the gastric juice to act more readily on it than it would on a precipitated and burnt powder. Second, to be able to give oxide of zinc to patients without troubling them to take medicine. Most drinkers like soda water, for which the solution may be substituted, even without the patient being aware of it. If one bottle a day, a common half-pint soda water bottle, 
is to be taken, it should contain about one grain of oxide of zinc and be divided into two or three doses. If the patient is in the habit of drinking a large quantity of soda water, as three or four bottles a day, which sometimes happens in the case of inveterate drinkers in easy circumstances, then each bottle should contain at first about a quarter of a grain of oxide of zinc. The strength of the solution to be gradually increased. At all events, a half-pint bottle should not contain more than three grains of oxide of zinc. This fluid will be readily mistaken for soda water, with a very slight metallic aftertaste. It produces precisely the same action on the body as a solid powdered oxide, and is equally, if not more, useful for the treatment of chronic alcoholism. It should be remembered, however, that the dose of oxide of zinc under the present form must be smaller than when given as a solid powder, for its action in the dissolved state is much more rapid than in the solid condition. On this account, I prefer administering a weak solution three or four times a day to a strong solution only once or twice daily. I have treated 16 patients with the above solution of oxide of zinc. Eight of them were suffering from chronic alcoholism, and the eight others from affections unconnected with the abuse of alcohol, as epilepsy, chorea, hysteria, etc. In the first eight cases of chronic alcoholism, the results of the treatment were very satisfactory, some patients recovering entirely and others in a great measure. In the second series of cases, the action of the medicine was not near so favorable, as in no less than four of them, no obvious benefit ensued. I endeavored in this treaty to bring prominently to light the most frequent form of disease produced by excessive drinking, and although it has been considered advisable confine the subject strictly within the medical limits, it will be a source of satisfaction to me should any of my observations tend to strengthen the hands of those philanthropists who have devoted their time and exertions to the repression of excesses and alcoholic stimulants. End of section 12.